I find it very sad that they don't make movies like this anymore. I mean, they do. They put them straight on Netflix and then you find it five years later because there's an episode about it on, you know, a romantic comedy podcast. But they don't make movies like this for the movie theater. I'm saying big movies with movie stars. Meryl Streep, Emily Blunt, Anne Hathaway, Stanley Tucci. We need movies like this in theaters again, you guys. Come on. Today's movie is, I don't know, can I call it a modern classic? It's from 2006. Can we say things from 2006 are classics now? I would make some reference to some pop thing that happened in 2006, but I was still listening to classic rock back then, so I can't. So I'll just say, The Devil Wears Prada stars those awesome people, Meryl Streep, Stanley Tucci. I mean, let's just talk about Stanley Tucci for a second. I think this was our introduction to him in pop culture. I think this is when we realized how awesome he was. He had the attitude, he had the sass, he's the kind of person that we want to just be around at all times, even when he's being a grumpy cat about things. So he's here, there's not enough of him, but he's there. It's really just the Meryl Streep show. And oh yeah, it's also the introduction of Miss Emily Blunt. Miss Emily Blunt? Yeah, Miss, no, no, Mrs. Miss Emily Blunt, because she's not Mrs. John Krasinski. Mr. John Krasinski is Mrs. Emily Blunt. So, anyways, it's The Devil Wears Prada starring all those people. Oh, Anne Hathaway is here too. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Okay, now, ladies. Yeah. Yeah. We're about to do this gentleman's guide to rom coms in just a little bit. Yeah. Don't have me do this gentleman's guide thing for nothing. Yeah. I want you all on your most romantic behavior. I am your neighbor. Give me some sugar. Uh, shake it. Shake, 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 shake it. Everybody did you knows meet that, that guy? Every, I did. I met Andre 3000 like earlier this summer. Isn't nice, he nice? Nicest dude. Was carrying nice. around a wooden flute all day. <laughs> Would he like pull it out and be like, uh, have a lovely day. Kind of. He, he came up playing it like he was Puck. Then said, hey, <laughs> was like real chill. Um... He dropped $5. I gave him his $5 back. He said, "Nice, thanks, bro. And then <laughs> uh, left and was playing the flute again on the way out. Wow. So you are like the third member of Outcast now. Uh, yeah. Do you think it was just out? Like, because it was, it was Outcast were the two members, but they always had like, they always had their crew with them. Yeah, your entourage. Yeah, that's an entourage. That's not a, that's not real members. I'm Kelly McCrillis. And I'm I'm Ryan Graves. And this week we watched The Devil Wears Prada as part of our two-part spooky series on rom-coms. You voted for it, so you're going to get it. How how many times have you seen this film, Ryan? 66 times. Ooh. <laughs> I saw it 69 times. Ooh, nice. nice. Um and uh how, what really 66? No, but I've seen it a lot where I'm like, oh, I'm going to watch Devil Wears Prada tonight. And I thought to myself, you could probably do the recording tomorrow without actually watching this. Me you too. You could probably do it. I knew every line in this movie, and I don't know how. Yeah. Um, 2006 was an easy time to watch The Devil Wears Prada. It was. You had DVDs strewn about all the stores. I feel like Devil Wears Prada is one of the things, if you walk into a Target, they've got a hundred copies ready to be picked up. It's that thing that you could watch with your friends, with your moms, with maybe your grandmas even, even though she'd be like, oh, there's a lot of women w- wearing underwear in this movie. And oh we, can, my we can tell that they're wearing it. 
I I just there's so many times where Meryl Streep says a line and I can just hear all these like moms going, Oh no, oh she's so terrible. <laughs> and then they, they drink a little bit more white wine. Mm. And they drink some of their wine to it. They're like, Oh she's like, well, I'm gonna pause this. Honey, get in here. You have to see what Meryl said. Like, do you ever do you ever go to the movies and you're like sitting just a few seats away from I'm not gonna say a woman like this, but there are people like this where they will just kind of talk to themselves yes and just make commentary i hate it unless they're more entertaining than the movie i like it as a screenwriter because it teaches me how people think to themselves i'm like well you're just doing it out loud (laughs) (laughs) have you ever heard of someone breaking up with somebody um because they like the other person talked during the movie i mean sarah talks at home during the movie she's smart enough to not do it she didn't used to though this what do you mean? Like, this is a thing where I used to watch movies with Sarah more often than I do now. And she was like a movie watcher and she would comment every once in a while, but it wasn't like the running commentary that it is now. It's not like she's not a question asker, which is nice. <laughs> well, I am in the habit now of if Sarah's in the room watching something with me, I have to have the remote at hand. So you can pause she'll it. be like. Uh, well, it's not even talking about the movie, but she's like, can you look at, do do we want these chairs off of Craigslist? And I'm like, honey, Meryl Streep is on. <laughs> Dearest. It's, uh, Emily Blunt is speaking. Don't, don't interrupt. Well, don't interrupt, Emily ew. Blunt. I dated somebody for uh, two weeks, and then I watched my first movie with them, and they asked me if this person was the bad guy within the first like minute, and I was like, uh-oh. And then over the course of the, the movie, there were probably at least a question every half minute and i was oh i was like that's not gonna that's not gonna work out for me i love it when they ask me they're like why did they do this mysterious thing in this mystery movie that we're watching i'm like i don't know (laughs) i'm not the movie watch the movie and find out (laughs) but you know what you never have to find out what's up with meryl streep in this movie because she's just a cold hard b yeah so why don't you tell me a story about meryl streep being a beep Tell me a story, Turk. Let me tell you a story about love, D'Artagnan. I ask you about love, probably quote me a sonnet. I'm not much more than an interpreter, and not very good at telling stories. That's the end. What do you mean, that's the end? That's not. It's the beginning of something interesting. Listen, that's the end of that saga. The end. (laughs) Beep! Beep, beep, ribby, ribby. Meryl Streep is the star of this movie, and Anne Hathaway doesn't matter. That's not true at all. <laughs> How dare you, sir? Anne Hathaway is a saint, and she's good in this film. I just think if they showed this cut of the movie to Meredith, isn't that her name? Meredith? Miranda? Miranda. I thought Meredith Streep. Miranda Priestley. Miranda Priestley. Rhymes with Greasley. <laughs> I have too much cold medicine in my head. <laughs> Are you doing okay? Are you sick? no. Not really sick, but my throat is all gravelly for some reason. Oh, you should sing Smelly Cat. It's very sexy. Come here, Gunther. Kiss me. (laughs) Uh, Oh, also, you know, can we can we just raise Gunther? Raise a toast. R.I.P. Gunther. Thanks for making Phoebe sick so she could sing Smelly Cat. Anyways, if Miranda Priestly got a viewing of the cut of this movie, she'd be like, there's not nearly enough of me in it. I'm only why, in part why of the would, picture. Why do we even care about this small, S- insignificant person's 
story when there's obviously more important people just waiting to go on the proverbial catwalk. This sad little girl whose hair is all a frizzle. I don't care about her. I don't don't care about her. So the movie starts with... (laughs) Uh, what's the song? Is this is this episode just going to be Miranda Priestly? Uh, Miranda Priestly, give me another uh, vodka. Um, <laughs> please, please, you've interrupted me and my husband's lovemaking. I you, want. I'm going to steak. kill. Hold on, stay here. We're going to involve you, and then it's going to become a snuff film because I'm going to kill you with my words. But then bring steak afterwards. Yes, and so I can throw it away at you. I want you to throw corpse. it at your dead body, and then I want you to clean up after me. Please, I'm going to raise you. I'm going to become a necromancer, raise you from the dead, and then kill you. And I'm going to want you to wear Gucci while you do it. I can just imagine like horrorfilmfest.com's review of this movie, but like there wasn't even a devil in it. Zero out of five stars. <laughs> um, Miranda Priestly. Uh, no, we'll, we'll get we'll get to her character. Let's start off with the, movie. the story. It kicks off with, I think it's Katie Tunstall, with Suddenly I See. Suddenly I saw that there was a lot of songs from 2005 in this film. And Every single one was there for us. But it didn't do mic drops in an annoying way. It was like, yeah, yeah this is the vibe I want. It worked much better than Practical Magic. No, this was, I really liked the song. Really started off the mood right. Got the vibes right away. Yeah, and so we we get that Andy, our main character, Andrea, Andrea, uh, what is is a young girl just recently graduated in a big city, and she's got a a boyfriend who makes food. She Jarlsberg, Jarlsberg. We thought it was Grenier or <laughs> Gruyere because of uh, her boyfriend's played by Adrian Grenier of Entourage. Speaking of Entourage, <clears throat> of Entourage fame. Um, but no, it's Jarlsberg. Uh, and then she's got another friend in uh, the woman who plays um, the lady who goes, take me for what I am in Rent. Um, oh, she's in Rent? Yeah, that's her other friend. Oh. Uh, and then the third friend doesn't matter. He just knows a lot about fashion, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I like him. No, I, I like him, too. Uh, of all the, f- the f- four of them, he's the one I'd want to hang out with. <laughs> Uh, so the the four of them living it up in the big city, and she is going out for a job. I think she like either got the job or got put up for the job to go work at Runway Magazine. Yeah, she applied. She applied. Maybe through a temp agency center there, something like that. Yeah. The HR person from the big magazine publishing corporation sent her up to talk to Miranda Priestley, which it's like. Good for them. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're a great temp agency. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, uh, and where Miranda Priestly works is basically Vogue. It's this world's yeah. version of Vogue. Um, it's Vogue. A magazine called Runway. Yeah, it's Vogue. And we meet Emily Blunt, who's just all prissy British Emily Blunt. She she is a very unique character in and of herself because there's nothing likable about her. Yeah, but yet we like her. She's like um, a more bitchy, less loud Paris Geller in a weird way. Yes, very Paris Geller. Very Paris Geller. And that's why I was like, you know what? Maybe you're just really insecure and it's okay. Oh, I mean, she is. She is very yeah. insecure. Um, and she scoffs at Anne Hathaway's style and we can tell that this is going to be a 
another like zero to hero smart girl steps into a world of cheerleaders type story fish out of water yeah. um you know mean girls type situation you, yeah cat your catty heron yeah i really do think that miranda Priestley's villain is uh like her and regina george going toe to toe would be a very it'd be a dangerous room <laughs> oh yikes although that would make a very good mashup right of like Regina George trying to go tete-a-tete against Miranda Priestly. Yeah, is that fair, do you think? Um, I think in order to make it, because Regina George is a lot younger, she's had a little less time to like sharpen her her skills. I think if this goes down, you give Regina George home field advantage of the high school just for like an equal footing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'd I'd pay I'd pay a couple dollars to see that movie. See, the problem is <laughs> she would. I would, I pay a hundred dollars to see that movie. Uh, I, I think the thing, the way it would go is Regina George would say, "Oh, I love that skirt. It's so cool." And then Miranda so Priestly would be like, "I know it's not. Do not try. Bring me a steak." Uh, <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, Anne Hathaway gets the job almost doesn't but then she's about to argue with Meryl Streep and Meryl Streep is like you know uh after viciously taking her down with her eyes is like this girl this girl seems to be sassier than the rest of the girls and smarter so I'm going to take her under my my vicious wing she's like yeah do you know do you know x-men very much I I know some of the x-men do you know you got- angel yeah, you got Hugh Jackman. No, yeah, I know. We could we could list off all the X Men you know, and that you would be a, that would be Paquin. a really fun game. But do you know Angel, the guy with the wings? Yeah, he was played by David Boreanaz. Oh, okay, God. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Which one's Angel? Um, and then she becomes her assistant. No, tell me who which one's angel. No, it doesn't matter. Angel's the one with the wings. And at one point in time, uh, Apocalypse turns him into Archangel and gives him metal wings. And I was uh, I was going to make a metal wings kind of joke, but it doesn't really matter now. Imagine, yeah. though, if Paul McCartney did a metal band and that's what wings was. Wow. You are like six layers deep. Into I got your zero sleep last night. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, hey, Robin, what if Paul McCartney and Wings was an X-Men reference? And Robin's like, go to bed, Kelly. <laughs> she, I hope she says that to me tonight. I hope she says go to bed and then I just get to go to bed. Yeah. Please let me sleep. Yeah. Welcome to the life, Dad. <sighs> so Miranda Priestly hires Andrea to basically just use her. Basically, Miranda's kind of a succubus. She's a parasite. She'll just get whatever she needs out of her. Exactly. She she could really... Like, you could say that she's helping Anne Hathaway sharpen herself on the stone that is Miranda Priestley's hatred of her. but Or, I guess, disdain would be a better word. But really... I think Meryl Streep, as much as I love her in this movie, is just straight up and down a villain. Evil. She is. She is evil. Like you can. You can tell that. Like I mean, the movie tries to humanize her at some points. Like she has some kids and she has like a, a hard marriage, but she is kind of like that. That person you don't want to be queen because they're going to treat their subjects poorly. Right. Where they they have unrealistic. She has unrealistic expectations from like wanting to get home during a hurricane when she's stuck in Florida or, um, you know, getting the manuscript to Harry Potter uh, when it hasn't come out yet, mm-hmm. which is yeah. 
so illegal <laughs> w- what they did. Like the person who's making the cover art, if that was ever traced back to her. Oh, yeah. Like not only fired, never working in publishing again. Well, I mean, you got to think that the guy, the caterpillar eyebrow guy, what's his name? You know what? Robin made a lot of noise about his eyebrows, too. I wasn't really that, you know fussed by him but apparently you know his name's um simon baker christian thompson yeah yeah christian thompson he's got to be really good friends with these people i mean like really i mean you know i mean christian thompson he's he's basically like this uh rakish roguish writer in in this world who writes about fashion but also is like a real journalist and um sorry fashion journalists (laughs) that was unintentional (laughs) But you know he's slept with them. Like I mean, he he seems like a guy who sleeps with a lot of people. Yeah, and we'll get to him later. I <laughs> I think our trope's actually going to be about him. Oh okay. Yeah. Uh, so Whoa. anyway, Anne Hathaway. Yes, she does she, what she can. She does all the shit work for Miranda. She goes and gets the dog's m- mole hair removed, or does <laughs> the. <laughs> <laughs> has to grab boogie boards or surfboards or something or has to call that guy from that thing all the annoying annoying just backbreaking labor uh, all the labor goes unappreciated and she can at the crux point of this the first crux point of this movie is where um she goes and complains to our favorite the man of the hour stanley tucci the He's tooch, back. The Tooch is the back tooch. in the house. The House of Merrill, starring Stanley Tooch. The Tooch. Um, and he kind of plays Miranda's like go-to number two. Finally, we come to my number two man. His name number two. Yeah, he's a right-hand man. And he uh he's like, Look, you are real smart and stuff, but you don't care about this job, so start caring about it. So she starts caring about it, so she starts doing better. She Whoa, whoa, you know, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're just skating by one of the best scenes of the whole movie. Oh, go, go ahead. Sorry. I, I'm just talking about the story. We can talk about any scene you want. We're Andy, talking about the beginning, about Andy the end. gets chewed out by Meryl, and she's like, oh my God, she hates me. Blah, blah. Oh, I can't... the reason why is because she like she's finally given enough trust to drop off the book, and she drops off... Oh, wait, no, no, that happens later. Yeah. She does something and gets yelled at, and oh, it's totally it's unfair. it's because she sees these two belts, and she's like, those two belts are the same color. Yeah. Which is funny, because that's what Robin said before Anne Hathaway said it. Yeah. <laughs> so this movie does a really good job putting you in her shoes. Yeah. What do you think about this monologue that like Meryl Streep comes back at her with? Uh, it's a great monologue. It's a it's wonderful a, I think it's monologue. one of the best monologues. Yeah, because a- Andy comes in, she's like, "Those belts look just the same," and she's like, "Oh, Meryl's like, really? You're gonna, you're really gonna be like that?" And let's just play the monologue because <laughs> I'm not gonna try and to recreate it because that would be dumb. Both those belts look exactly the same to me. You know, I'm still learning about this stuff and uh... <laughs> this stuff. Oh. Okay, I see. You think this has nothing to do with you. You go to your closet and you select, I don't know, that lumpy blue sweater, for instance, because you're trying to tell the world that you take yourself too seriously to care about what you put on your back. But what you don't know is that that sweater is not just blue. It's not turquoise. It's not lapis. It's actually cerulean. And you're also blithely unaware of the fact that in 2002, Oscar de la Renta did a collection of cerulean gowns. And then I think it was Yves Saint Laurent, wasn't it, who 
showed Cerulean military jackets. I think we need a jacket here. Mm. And then Cerulean quickly showed up in the collections of eight different designers. And then it uh, filtered down through the department stores and then trickled on down into some tragic casual corner where you no doubt fished it out of some clearance bin. However, that blue represents millions of dollars and countless jobs. And it's sort of comical how you think that you've made a choice that exempts you from the fashion industry when in fact you're wearing a sweater that was selected for you by the people in this room from a pile of stuff. Yeah. And so after like basically explaining the entire fashion industry and why it matters to kind of to Anne Hathaway, um, that's when Anne Hathaway's like feels torn apart. Yeah. So she yeah. goes to the Tooch for solace, for comfort. And Stanley Tucci's like, I'm not going to give you comfort. And he gives the great speech that every millennial needed to hear. Because <laughs> we're all like, I thought I was special. And, he, and Stanley Tucci's like, no, you're not. You should just quit because you are whining. You're complaining. You're not actually doing the job that is required of you. Whoa, whoa. You're, you're saying that every millennial needed to hear that. Yeah. That- I feel like millennials in our 20s had to get over the speed bump of being the... Most millennials weren't in their 20s in when this movie came out. Th- All right, we were 18. We were we were just coming into it. But we were very much the uh, generation where we thought we deserved everything and we got like bitch slapped by life. And it's like, oh, okay, so we're not going to just be given things. I disagree with you, but that's fine. That's... I. <laughs> I, I think we were the we were the trophy generation. That's the most common way of like labeling millennials is that we got w- rewarded for everything and we every we got participation trophies. We got you blue stars wow, you for really sound like Mr. Conservative Dad right now. <laughs> have you not heard this before? Like this no, is the I have great defi- accusation of millennials. No, no, that- I, I have definitely heard it as the great accusation of millennials. I just never thought you'd be the person doing it. I, that's that's how I thought of myself is that I was like, I'm special. I'm creative. I'm super awesome. When I make something, I should get rewarded. And I did that and nothing happened. I made a movie and I was like, great. Everyone's going to love this movie. And nothing happened. Oh, and see, I, I, I came from a very different, like, growing up status than you did. Because my dad, whenever anybody got a participation trophy, was like, you don't deserve that. Yeah, he kept you away from that. He was like, no, you're not a part of this. Yeah, but I think there's thing. a fine middle ground where it's fine to get, like, you know, um, you know, not necessarily awards for participating or whatever, but there's there's a middle ground to be had. No, I know, but the the thing that Andy is thinking is she's like, I'm working hard and I'm putting up with Meryl's shit. That should be enough. And and Stanley Tucci is like, no, it's not. Like, if you want to be really successful at this company, you got to try way harder. Yeah, I yeah, which is it's true. But if Andy was doing this at most other jobs, she would at least be treated with respect. Oh yeah, I mean, no matter that's, what, that's she's getting disrespected. But she, but I, not. I, but he, Stanley Tucci was correct to be like, I'm not even like approving what you're doing. Like, I think you're not doing a good job either. It's not that she's not doing a. It's and it's not that. I I think the message that Stanley Tucci is sending is work harder, and then you'll 
you'll succeed. It's not that. I think he's saying you have to try to fit in if you want to succeed, which is not what the boomer generation says about our generation. But now in that context, he's like, they they would love Anne Hathaway. They'd be like, (laughs) Anne Hathaway, you're doing great. No, but he's saying you have to like do, you have to be one of us. I know exactly. So it's more, it's more that Stanley Tucci's like, look, if you want to be liked here, you have to conform. what else I can do because if I do something right it's unacknowledged she doesn't even say thank you but if I do something wrong she is vicious so quit what quit I can get another girl to take your job in five minutes one who really wants it no I don't want to quit that's not fair but I you know I'm just saying that I would just like a little credit for the fact that I'm killing myself trying. Andy, be serious. You are not trying. You are whining. What is it that you want me to say to you, huh? Do you want me to say, poor you, Miranda's picking on you, poor you, poor Andy? Hmm? Wake up, Six. She's just doing her job. Don't you know that you were working at the place that published some of the greatest artists of the century? Halston, Lagerfeld, De La Renta. And what they did, what they created, was greater than art. Because you live your life in it. Well, not you, obviously, but some people. You think this is just a magazine? Hmm? This is not just a magazine. This is a shining beacon of hope for... Oh, I don't know. Let's say a young boy growing up in Rhode Island with six brothers pretending to go to soccer practice when he was really going to sewing class and reading Runway under the covers at night with a flashlight. You have no idea how many legends have walked these halls. And what's worse, you don't care. Because this place, where so many people would die to work, you only deign to work. And you want to know why she doesn't kiss you on the forehead and give you a gold star on your homework at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I don't know. I disagree, but that's fine. It is a good, it is a good scene between the two of them. Well, he's, he does tell her to stop whining. He, he's, he is saying that he's like, I don't want to hear you complaining. I want to hear you asking what you can do to be what we want you to be. Sure. Um, and what, what that is, is a size four wearing <laughs> really expensive clothing. And so he helps her out with the size four stuff. Um, and, then basically she gets better and better and better at her job, right? We basically have or a montage where is she getting better at her job or is she getting better at conforming to no, both, what they want? Both because she's better at anticipating Meryl Streep's needs, but then she's also, you know, better at conforming. Yeah. So eventually this all leads to her witnessing her Meryl Streep had a fight with her husband. Mm hmm. And that's when Meryl asks her to get the Harry Potter manuscript. She um, gives her the impossible job, which yeah. is to find Harry Potter 7, the manuscript, not the book itself. And I think it's because Miranda just wanted to do one last trick before she murdered Andy. Yeah, it would be like it would be like right before you set someone on fire to be like, oh, um, also look to your left. That's right. Uh, that was your that was your puppy. It's it's dead. <laughs> yeah. So 
she's given the impossible task, and thankfully she met Eyebrow Man, Christian Thompson, played by Simon Baker, the mentalist. The mentalist. That's what he's in. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you have to sleep with me now because I saved your job. No, well, he doesn't do that. We'll get there, though. Basically... <laughs> So on He's the other the side, work for that. The, the yeah, very much so. On the other side of things, you have um, like slowly but surely you see Anne Hathaway's relationship with her with her Gruyere, um, mm-hmm. her her boyfriend, slowly eroding because he can't handle her working late. Well, no, she's like missing his birthday. She's missing out all the social things. She's not. She's not in his life anymore. No, I mean, it's not that she's missing out on all of it. Like Robin had it and I actually both had kind of a problem with him because we have the kind of relationship where if for some reason, like she had a job and she was again, she's 22, 23 years old Mm -hmm. and she has to take this job for a year. She's kind of laid it out. She's like, all I have to do is work here for a year and then I'm good. And if you had a positive relationship where you were like, hey, honey, I hate to do this. I, I think I'm going to be late or miss your birthday party because work had to do a thing. And I'm really sorry, but I'll make it up to you. That's but she never made it up to him. She never made it up to him. She you, didn't. You can't, well, she didn't. He didn't give her time to make it up. No, like, but it, when she no, came the, home, clearly like, the I'm, movie, going to, I'm going to bed. No, the movie clearly made it. Cl- the, the movie clearly made it clear <laughs> that every time. She would never made it up to him. And it was months and months and months of this, not just like a couple weeks of really busy. Oh. Uh, it's, well, it seems to me that like um, and, and we were against her friends actually as well, because at one point in time, she goes to dinner, brings them all presents at mm-hmm. dinner. And then what they do, they know her boss sucks. And what they do is take her phone away from her when Miranda calls, hides it from her and then um, like basically stresses her the heck out. Yeah. And then. Like after when she's like, you are assholes. I was like, yeah, you're right. Anne Hathaway. <laughs> they are assholes <laughs> because you can you can do that stuff. But like, that's not good for a friend who's already stressed out at their job. Imagine sure. if I did that to you. Imagine no, how I upset know. you'd be. I'm, I'm not going to defend the friends, but I'm going to defend Adrian. Adrian Grenier did that. But not only that. <laughs> no, not hold in that on, moment. Hold on. Hold on. You, you, I, macro level. Sure. I, I bet their relationship wasn't great. But in this moment where she's late for his birthday and she brings him a cupcake and she's like, I'm so sorry. He's just like, whatever. And he goes to the other room. Man, fuck you. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm completely on the other side of this you, because. So that's how you'd act, react to Sarah if she. No, because if. No, Sarah would never do that. If, if Sarah whether, would never be caught at work too long. It's one thing to be caught at work once. But if she's caught at work every single day for months on end. Adrian Grenier has the best line where he says something to the effect of the person that you're taking the call from, that's who you're in a relationship with. And if there's no communication happening between her and Nate, if there's if they're not actually seeing each other, if they're just seeing each other at night when they go to sleep and that's it, they don't have a relationship. That there's nothing. Seem, that that's what seem, I saw. We don't see them having like yeah, they bone a couple times, but that's all they really have. This is well, this is the problem other. with the movie, I think, is that the the movie tries to spread out like her outside life really far where it's like at one point in time she meets her dad and doesn't hang out with her dad for very long and then she hangs out with like the one time that she doesn't meet up with Grenier mm-hmm. is the birthday mm-hmm. that's the only time we see the work actually really affecting their relationship 
Well, it was like a slow burn. Like, well, it was, no, it's the movie expects you to understand this. Yeah. Well, we're like, seeing that she's just taxed every day she's working. She just can't be all the I, things that she wants to be. I think if a, if a partner was like, hey, this is a really hard job, but I, I am just doing this for a year. I think Robin and I both looked at each other and asked each other this. Uh, and we were like, you know what? We could be there to support each other doing this hard thing, which Robin and I kind of have because there was uh, a long year where I did a lot more um, film production work, which takes a lot of your time. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of times where I had to like work really late or wake up at like midnight to take care of a problem. Not that it wasn't stressful and not that she didn't miss me or like it wasn't a little hard, but like, you know, it, and maybe it's because these two people are 22 years old or 23 years old, but just but did you find time to reconnect with Robin in the well, midst of Stranger so is, Things? Were you is, finding time is, to connect? This is what this movie like doesn't tell us, whether they do or do not connect. I'm going to assume that we're seeing all the important moments of their relationship. <laughs> yeah, but there's only going to dinner with their friends, then his birthday... And I then, know, but if they actually and found they time to reconnect, that would actually show us that. And what I know I'm, that's what I'm saying. This is what I don't like about this movie. No, I'm saying the this... movie is 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 perfect. Be, not perfect, <laughs> but but that I think the movie is doing exactly what needs to be. Where we never, if we're not shown them uh, of Anne Hathaway making time to reconnect, then therefore I don't think it's happening. And I think that's the point: is that this job is making her only committed to her job and nothing else. No time for her friends, no time for her boyfriend, no time for her family. Everything is about the job. And I think that's what the movie's trying to very explicit, explicitly say. You know, I, I know it's trying to say that, but uh, from what we're given and what we're shown, uh, I didn't like Mr. Gunier. Oh, well, I, no, that's fine. But I think he had the one perfect line, which is true just in general of whoever you're prioritizing, that's the person you're in the relationship with. And if you're prioritizing someone else, all if you're always prioritizing someone over your partner, then that's the person you're in a relationship with. Sure. Always is a very strong word because we also see her like bring him presents and, you know, like they have sexy time and then she's like, I, I feel like she's trying. I think I, she's trying to show that she's trying. Well, let's get through the story because I don't think she can I don't think it's possible to, to be the person that she sure. wants. To I mean, be. I'll agree with you there. So yeah. basically um, she shows up at her friend's art show at one point in time, Mr. Mr. Wrong himself, Simon Baker uh, walks up to her and he's like, Oh, by the way, uh, I uh, oh. oh, and then he like kisses her on the cheek or something. Ooh, oops, I just kissed you. Oh she, no, she has like a little bit of flirty for a second with yeah. him, but yeah. then he kisses her and she doesn't do anything wrong. She's just like, uh, okay, uh, that's not great. And then her friend walks up to her and just busts her on it. She's like, by the way, I don't know if I want to be your friend anymore. We've been friends for 16 years and this is how you treat your boyfriend. Well, first, it would, it looks really weird. If I saw a woman kissing you on the cheek, I'd be like, what sure. the fuck? Well, what you'd probably walk up to me to do is ask me like a normal human being like, Hey, what the fuck's going on? Well, I know, but like, I think their <laughs> friendship is so strained and this was just the straw that broke the camel's back where she's I, like, so, so like, I, I have so many questions on? for you about their friendship because they've been friends for 16 years, right? Yeah. They, they both just went to school for a long time. Yeah. And now we have to assume that 
wherever they're from, like Iowa or wherever is where they both grew up, but they both ended up in New York. And like one of them's working as like this gallery runner, right? Person. Yeah. Person. And the other one's like working this like high ended job for Miranda Priestly. And like Grenier is working as a sous chef at a restaurant and the other guy does something boring. Yeah. But it's like all these professionals who are like 23 and have like great jobs and I, I was just like, the recession hadn't happened, Kelly. Yeah. I, well, like two, that was, was a year away. They had, it was so <laughs> lucky. They, I think it, it felt so unrealistic to me because of that, where I was like, this isn't how it went. No, I know. I think that's, that's really interesting. Like right before the recession, this is this movie yeah. right before. And right then before. we, and then we graduated and we're like, how the hell do you get that job? <laughs> Nobody's hiring gallery yeah. runners. Yeah, no, um, this is the last breath of air of like people in their 20s having actually good jobs. But basically her friend's kind of a bitch and then her boyfriend breaks up with her. And um, I say for good reason. I don't blame him one bit. I don't blame I mean, him one bit. No, I don't necessarily blame him for breaking. I mean, for one, don't break up with Anne Hathaway, anybody. That's a big <laughs> mistake. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Like I... I, I don't think she should have been dating somebody seriously if she was at that job. Sure. I can, I can get on board with you there. I also think that he is a wet blanket. So who cares? Um, is, was there anything that you like particularly loved about Adrian Gruyere? In this he movie? was, he was like, he was like nothing great, but also nothing bad. Cause there's like, you, you've changed, man. And it's like, okay, you're fine enough in this movie. You're, you're not even like, you're not a Bellamy. You're almost your own Bellamy. <laughs> you know? You're your own worst Bellamy. Like, if it was Bill <laughs> Pullman, we'd be like, aww, <laughs> or something like that. But he's not even adorable. Like, he, he's he flips a mean grilled cheese. Like, there's one point in time where he flips it off screen. He and I'm flips just like, it nice in a way. Yeah, no, he flips it away. I'm like, that's how Kelly would flip a, a grilled cheese. I was impressed. Yeah. Um, no, he's just he's just fine. Yeah. And, and I don't I don't know if he needs to be anything better than fine because we need to be OK with other stuff that happens with I, her. I think if this movie was 10 minutes longer um, you, and you had a more charismatic person being her opposite. Um, yeah, it, we might have cared a little bit more, but it, as it is, it's fine. But it, I mean, the thing is, like. I think this is not even necessarily a romantic comedy. It is not. We haven't it's, talked about it yet, but it is not quite a rom-com, is but it? But it's morally a it's more a girly comedy. But it's not even a girly comedy. I, I like to stain my own use of girly comedy. Thank you. Um I appreciate that. Because I think it's I think this movie is so far in between everything that you have to give it that enigmatic of all enigmatic genres, it is a dramedy. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's a like, Hollywood dramedy. It's a Hollywood dramedy. It's clean. It's safe. There's it's not, it's not too, really trying to say too much. The stakes aren't too high where you're really stressed out. But there's enough stars and good performances in it for everybody to come back to time and time again. And you're really invested and you care and you want, you want Anne Hathaway to succeed all across the board. You want yeah. her to do well at her job and do well with her friends and her family and everything else. So, um... I, I do want to highlight that Anne, Anne Hathaway, though she she does get a little obsessed with her job, between her and Rich Summer, almost everybody in this movie is kind of a bitch. 
Yeah. I want to use that word with the full force that it deserves because Meryl Streep is queen bitch for sure. Stanley Tucci's a bitch a lot of the times. Like I think uh, probably a self-ascribed one because he yeah. just like will cut people down. Emily Blunt will cut people down. Tracy Toms is not very nice to Anne Hathaway, even though you're kind of on her side. Adrian <laughs> Grenier is like, oh, why aren't you here? I birthday? wouldn't call him a wet blanket. I would just call him white bread where it's like, eh, this is fine. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, uh, it's so funny because this movie has such a positive feeling in my heart where I, I enjoy it and I know it and I loved it back then. But there's no good people in this movie besides Anne Hathaway. Yeah, and I think that's what's the, what the key is. Because, um, well, let's get through the plot so we can talk about that idea. Sure. Basically, she's becoming more and more ingratiated in the runway lifestyle, much like Mean Girls. It's yeah, like and the then, same and then thing. She hits um, Emily Blunt with a bus, just like in Mean Girls. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so she has to go to Paris to uh, Paris Fashion Week, which is the the creme de la creme of the it's, fashion industry. It's something industry. that Emily Blunt has been talking about all movie, and Anne Hathaway's like, I could care less about this, and then she ends up having to go. Taking her place, because Emily yeah. Blunt, is, she broke her leg, so she definitely yeah. can't go. Definitely can't. Can't yeah. catwalk with a bum leg. <laughs> yeah, so she goes to Paris after she breaks up with Adrienne Gruyere, and Simon Baker is there and he's all like, I'm Simon Baker. Oh, where's the boyfriend? And Sarah's just like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it's so weird. Like, are we supposed to be actually into this guy? Like, do we want him to be it's, romantic with her? Do, do you think Simon Baker in this movie, like, let's say that she hadn't been dating anybody all film. Okay. So right. let's say we have even less of an attachment to Mr. Gruyere than we already do. Um, At that point in time, do you see Christian Baker or Simon Baker as a viable love interest? No, he is dun-dun-dun, the evil Bellamy. Ladies and gentlemen, Ralph Bellamy, always the friend, but never getting the girl. But we're so right for each other. I know. This is just like my grandmother's china. I'm surprised. I didn't expect. I don't. You don't love me. No, I I just have to think about it for a minute. Think about what? I wish you could just accept knowing how confused I am about all this. She will be mine. Oh, yes. She will be mine. I love the evil Bellamy Q. Um, but it, that's truly his role is that he's the evil Bellamy where he's but, a tempter. Okay. You're right. He is a tempter, but I'm going to push back. A, uh, we can call him the evil Bellamy just cause I love the drop so much. Um, <laughs> but to be honest, as, as much as he fills a role, I feel like they're caricaturing him in a way that he's really not that evil. And I want to make a small case for him cause I knew that we'd be talking about this. Okay. Okay. So Simon Baker is in like five scenes in this movie. Yeah. He meets her at a party. They kind of flirt. He saves her from drinking a a bad drink. Right. Yep. So point one, he's nice. He flirts with her. He reads her stuff and doesn't know she has a boyfriend yet. Uh, No, he knows right off the bat. She tells him because when they see each other at the gala, she's like, I got to get to my boyfriend. I know. No, uh, yeah, this is that's way later though. Oh, okay. Um, so, so this is what I'm like. This movie wants me to think he's a bad guy, and I think it does a really good job convincing you that he should be a bad guy. 
I don't think it does a good job. I think it tries really hard, which is why we all believed it. Mm-hmm. But on my 12th watch through, <laughs> I actually don't think he's a bad guy. So that's point one. He does like three good things with her when meeting her. Then the next time that they talk um, is when he gets the the book for her. Or no, no. They meet at somewhere, right? When he's handing off the manuscript at the bar? No, I think... Um, at one point in time, he sees her at a party or something like that. That's the first time they meet. Well, regardless, he gets her uh, this manuscript, right? Yeah, yeah. He does he a then, good deed. He does a very good deed. It does. It's a good. Well, it's an illegal deed, but it's a good <laughs> deed. Yeah. Um. And then after that, Mister Baker also is like, "Yo, yo, yo, I um, we should hook up." Well, no, no. He, like he still hasn't in this point in time in the movie been told that she has a boyfriend, and so. Like he meets her outside the gala and he's like, hey, by the way, my buddy at the New Yorker's here. I could introduce you. Mm -hmm. And then she's like, "Uh, I can't. I have to go meet my boyfriend. And he says, "Okay, well, see you later. And he just walks away. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, so far, three for three. This guy is a pretty great guy. I mean, that's a very generous read of it. I read it as much more like, oh, you're a hot. So, so all, yeah, maybe, but all he's doing so far is helping her out and being nice and not asking really for anything in return. It, mm, it feels very much that like, hey, I did all these great things for you. That makes me hot in your eyes. Look at like it feels feels kind of transactional. Not that it uh, is, but, but he it does feels like, kind of greasy. Right. Because I, I think this movie is trying to convince you of that. But I want to take his all of his all of his actions as as. Veritas. Well, no, I think that's um, why the movie does such a good job is that he's not an arch villain who's like twiddling his mustache. He's just a normal dude who just goes about it in a kind of a greasy way. And we're just I don't, all I don't kind know of like what's, off put by it. I don't know what's greasy about it, though. Oh, he just the way it's just, it, it's just because he tries to be charming and smiles. He's not charming, though. Like Sarah just saw right through him. She just like, well, yeah, Ugh. we're meant to see right through him, though. It's it's a weird it's a weird thing where I'm like, I, do you think then it was a really good performance by Christian Thompson? Yeah. Yeah. I okay. think he's just trying to win over Andy and he's doing it through the only I, yeah, means what's that wrong he has. With that? I, it, what, I mean, here's the thing. He's like, like. If you are going to talk to a person and flirt with them and stuff, and then you're like, hey, I'd like to hang out with you more. Like, here is here are my recourses. It doesn't seem like he's being that bad of a guy. I simply think it's the performance that he's putting on. Yeah, like, he just it, it's not that he, he it's not like he did something wrong the way that I'll like accuse Jess in Gilmore Girls. I'm like, you did wrong. <laughs> But it's more just kind of like, ah, you just give me weird vibes. I think that's what's sure. good about it. It's the it's the vibes. So he meets her at the um, at the the uh, art show, if you want to call it that. <laughs> and he is like, hey, and then he kisses her. And I'm like, at that point in time, sir, you're crossing a line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then when they meet up in Paris and he, he's like, uh, is a boyfriend here? And she's like, oh, there's no boyfriend. And he's like, ah, let's go out on a date then. And then they sleep together. And sure. I'm going to call him. He is the trope, Mr. Wrong. And we'll talk about him in a second. Uh-huh. But at this point in time, he is not that bad of a guy. <laughs> like to call him an evil Bellamy, I think is pushing it. Well, you're the one who made the drop. No, I love it. I think he's, he, I think he's Mr. Wrong. I don't think he's an evil person, though. 
No, or that's why even a bad person. But that's why we're not judging Andy he's, for going after him the way that she does, where she's like, eh, you know what? You're just kind of greasy. And we're like, yeah, so we're not we're not ever yeah. really uncomfortable with the relationship, but we just know, no, you don't yeah, want to be with that guy. He's probably a good lay, and maybe that's all Andy needs. Yeah. Well, let me rewrite the movie then. You write your first draft with your heart. And you rewrite your head um maybe maybe the character christian thompson should have been a more serious contender yeah oh this is uh this is what we, we should call this something because this is uh what we were talking about with moulin rouge yeah it's the same thing they should have done the same thing where they made him okay yeah uh, he that's an evil bellamy that's <laughs> an evil bellamy they could have made Christian Thompson a serious contender to go ahead tete-a-tete to Adrian Gruyere because he represents what this world could be for Andy. Right. I th- I think uh, if if we're rewriting the movie here, I I would like to say that in order to make him a more serious contender, you need to make Adrian Gr- Gruyere like an actual person of interest that we like yeah as it stands he's just a safe safe guy and set to the side same thing with simon baker christian thompson i think he's a safe bad boy yeah definitely absolutely and and i think that i think her her friend getting mad at her is like a safe basic way to get mad at somebody i would i would get mad at you well not like that but i would be a little miffed hear me out i think both Rich Summer as as their friend Doug and Stanley Tucci as Nigel are both very safe 2006 coded gay. Yeah. I think everything about this movie is so safe. Oh yeah. Oh so, yeah. So so I I think that if if we're rewriting the movie, we make either make those dangerous. two characters far more interesting and dangerous maybe or strip the love story completely away from this movie and make it much more about Anne Hathaway versus Meryl Streep and how much is Anne Hathaway willing to become like Meryl Streep in order to survive. Yeah. Well, I would do it the first way. I would have it love interest in the like Madison Avenue section or love interest on like, I don't know the hell's kitchen side of it. What's the, so, what's so the you're blue collar a, version of Madison Avenue? Yeah, sure. Sure. That, that makes sense. Uh, the Queens version. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's you, you want a Jess versus Logan situation here. Kind of, but I think this is even more interesting than that. <laughs> like, because it could be a whole life for herself. If she went after being a Miranda Priestly kind of person, interesting people to fall in love with interesting job to have being respected, being powerful, creative things, or, do you go on the Adrian Gruyere side of things? Grilled cheese sandwiches every night, art galleries, etc. Se- seeming, <laughs> seeming, seeming um, sincerity. Yeah, right. That world feels much more sincere, especially when <clears throat> Stanley Tucci gives his line about how, like, you know that if your life is going up in flames, you're due for a promotion. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I like Adrian Greer's like explaining the fry, and he's like, "We spend a whole semester on potatoes." And right. I, if you if you let us live, it, sorry, I, I had to adjust my legs. I'm coming back to the mic. Um, if you let us live with Mr. Gruyere a little bit more, and maybe had a different actor. Not that he's a bad actor, but just again, he's just okay. Like 
made him more of a like a quirkier guy like like i don't know who i would cast in this role but somebody who i'm just like how could you not be in love with this person right and that's the problem with the bellamy thing is that they're kelly this is it they're both the bellamy they're double bellamy double bellamy because we don't really need her to end up with either of these guys we don't care no which is okay so let's let's skip to through the end of the movie she sleeps with christian thompson she finds out meryl streep is getting fired um but then tries to save the day but then we realize that meryl streep didn't get fired she threw stanley tucci under the bus because he was going to get this job but she's like no i'm keeping stanley tucci at this job and stanley tucci's really sad it's so sad yeah and then after meryl streep does that Anne hathaway's like i don't want to be you you're evil and Aunt meryl streep says like something like everybody wants to be us and then Anne hathaway leaves and it's this very sad wonderful moment where Meryl Streep is walking up some stairs and Anne Hathaway's not behind her anymore. Yeah. And then Anne Hathaway becomes a journalist. Yeah. And what I love the ending of this movie. This is really good filmmaking where Meryl Streep yeah. sees Anne Hathaway across the street and we see Anne Hathaway because it does the Princess Diaries thing where we first meet Anne Hathaway. She's all frumpy and she's like, I don't mind being frumpy. I'm a journalist. And then she gets ingratiated mean girl style and is starting to dress like the runway people. And she looks, yeah, she looks she great. she loses weight and is happy about it. She Ugh. looks good in a kind of synthetic way where it's like, yes, you look good, but it's not you. And then the final look of her because you know the actual it's a combination is is of that it's like she looks great on her terms and Meryl Streep kind of smirks like good for her (laughs) yeah yeah and then she gets mad at her driver it's a perfect ending um but like do you want to save talking about her final conversation with Mr. Gruyere for trope talk uh I I'm gonna just trust you and say yes Welcome back to Trope Talk. It's like Spock Talk, but with far less live long and prosper. Oh my god, where did you come up with that? I watched a lot of Star Trek in my day. <laughs> um, so, the trope here is Mr. Wrong. Yeah. Um, who falls into the Mr. Wrong category? The Bellamy. The evil Bellamy. The Any basic Bellamy. Bellamy. All Any Bellamy's. Bellamy. All Bellamy's. Um, sometimes it's not even a Bellamy. It's just somebody that you're hooking up with. But it's that person in the movie where you're like, look, I see you, whatever your name is. I know for a fact you're not going to be with our main character by the mm-hmm. end of the movie, but mm-hmm. you're just here. Yep. Who are other good examples of this character? Of of any Bellamy? Or No, no. Like a... A specific, like, as soon as you see him on screen, you know they're Mr. Wrong. Mm. Like, that, like that. I feel like that's what I'm Christian gonna go Thompson with an easy is one. I'm going to go with a really easy one. His name is Mr. Collins. Ah, <laughs> Mr. Collins, indeed. In Pride and Prejudice, we have Mr. Collins, who, not only being blood-related to uh, Lizzie Bennet, is, you know, that sucks. Um, he shows up, and in the first scene in the movie, he you can tell that this guy is not only a, like a pastor, but like an extremely boring pastor. He is just, he has no conversational skills. He has no wit. He is so, so unendingly boring. And he has like not a romantic bone in his body. All of these things being the opposite of our hero, Lizzie Bennett. So, you know, he's going to be wrong for her. He's Mr. Wrong. And then I'm looking at Dirty Dancing and there's like a bunch of dudes in Dirty Dancing that are not Patrick Swayze. 
Now, <laughs> that's true. Uh, what about Mr. Wickham from that story? Like, he's he's not necessarily Mr. Wrong until we find out he's Mr. Wrong. Right. There, there's a subtle difference there, right? Well, Jane Austen is the queen of creating evil Bellamy's. Right. And it's... we. And I'm wondering if there's some inspiration of the Jane Austen framework for Christian Thompson to make him kind of a Wickham character where it's like he seems okay, but there's something off about but he's never Yeah, except except he's just never as evil as an Austen villain is. Yeah. They don't I, really I, give him an evil deed for because Anne Hathaway's like, I'm not your baby. I'm like, that's what that's what made you realize that you don't want to be with him is that he says you're his baby once. Yeah, like I mean, I like that's pretty greasy, and I get it because, like, like you know, you haven't been together long enough for that. But it it was a weird thing to call her for that character, but it was also like a. It, it sounds like he'd called her that before, and she's like, "Don't call me. I'm not your baby." Yeah, I, I don't know. It was, no, she should have. She could have said, "Nobody puts baby in a corner," and it would have made as much sense. Yeah, she's like, "Have you seen Dirty Dancing? You a hole." <laughs> um. Yeah, so that's that's I don't know how much more I have to say about this. We all know a Mr. Wrong when we see him though. It's like that one weird politician said about porn. You knows it when you see it. That's that judge. You knows a Mr. Wrong when you see him. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking for most of these rom-coms where we have have Bellamy's, it's any kind of Bellamy where we know that they're not the star of the movie. And you can just that that's the yeah. unfortunate part. When I'm going into Dirty Dancing, I'm waiting for Patrick Swayze to fall in love with Jennifer Grey and all these other guys. I'm like, sure, 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 keep talking, but it's it's all pointless, Mister. Now, now, is there a movie that subverts the Mister Wrong trope? Is there a movie where we like at first we're just like, oh, there's no way the two of these people will get together, and then they do. Because I'm not going to say it's Mr. Darcy, because like Mr. Mr. Darcy and Elizabeth have sexual tension at the beginning, even right. though they're upset with each other. Right. It's still something where it's like, no, we know Mr. Darcy's going to be the one who like I bet there is a unexpected romance. It would be like the opposite of this trope. Um. Well, you know, there's I'm looking through our past episodes. I'm like one that kind of kept you guessing was it's complicated because it's just kind of like. You can end the movie either way. Alec Baldwin, Steve Martin, sure. Like I would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be against either of them. And it, it kind of, it just kind of picks Steve Martin as if it flipped a coin. I feel like, mm. you know. And so, yeah, maybe that because when that movie's going, it it is kind of a true love triangle plot. So I think in that in that regard, if you have a love triangle plot you kind of have a subversion of that because then yeah, yeah, yeah. they're, they're both equally like it's possible, mm-hmm. which is interesting, like, more interesting than Christian Thompson's never going to end up with Anne Hathaway in this movie. No, no. But if you have something like, um, what, what is a good love triangle? Yeah. Cause it's complicated. It's fine. <laughs> Darth Vader, Luke Skywalker. I marry Boff kill all of them. Oh, okay. Okay. Here we go. Like, um, to, to all the boys too. All right. Oh, too yeah. Ma- too many boys. Yeah. Um, One any, too many e- boys. Either of those guys she could have gotten together with at the end, and it would have been just, I mean, I, I would have been like, yeah, okay, uh, Peter Kavinsky, or yeah, okay, Piano Boy. John um, Ambrose. John Ambrose. John Ambrose. Right? Yeah, John Ambrose. Yeah, no, I think that's right. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, like, so the Mr. M- Mr. Maybe is what everybody is if they're not 
the hero that you know they're going to be with or Mr. Wrong. So yeah. you have Mr. Right, Mr. <laughs> Maybe, and Mr. Wrong. <laughs> um, but yeah, and now, so let's talk about the other Mr. Wrong for this movie, Grenier. Yeah. So this movie ends in a weird place romantically, which is another nail in the coffin of the fact that this isn't a rom-com. It just feels like one. Yeah. The they get together when she gets back from Paris and she's like, I'm stupid. I was wrong. And she's like, I don't even know what I did it for. And he's like, you did it for shoes and jackets. And it's like, he never didn't say the... it like that. Come on. No, he You're did. being he did. so unfair. I'm gonna, no, no, I'm going to play it right. No, I'm going to play it. I'm going to play it right here. I'll play it for you right now. Actually. No, he that's, was like, that's how, no, I'm going to play. Let it me do right it. Now. Let me do it the way I heard it. You did it for shoes and jackets. Like it was much more like, He's just kind of like, whatever, I'm over you. I don't want to deal with you. Well, okay, fine. Um, we'll, we'll play it and let the audience decide for themselves. Okay, well, what's your point? My point is that they get together at this restaurant and she's like, I'm sorry, I was dumb. I wasn't giving you a good relationship. And he's like, yeah, well, I got a job coming up in Boston. And, sh- and then she's like, oh, well, that's good. And he's like, well, we can make grilled cheeses in Boston. And so uh, presumably they're getting together. I think he's saying the door is open. If you're, if you want to have a life in Boston, my door's open. Yeah. I, I wasn't, yeah, it, it kind of felt like they were like, oh yeah, we could probably get back together, but then she's going to take this job in New York. And so I I think that, I think it's much more ambiguous where it's just kind of like she can take a job in New York or she can go work in Boston. And if she works in Boston, there's a guy there who would love to date her and it's no, there's no pressure. It's just, you know, it it felt like such an unnecessary scene to me. No, you gotta have that reconciliation. And when it it would be fake, if they were like, let's be together again. And that would be like totally unmotivated. No, no, I, I agree. I, I don't want them back together again. Yeah. So, um, but what I was thinking was, I, I would have much rather seen her just like I don't know, send him a letter or whatever. Um, <laughs> dear John, <laughs> dear John, it it was pretty blah being in a relationship with you, but I'm I'm glad we're here now. Um, I think I didn't need closure between the two of them. I. I don't know why. Oh, I I absolutely needed it because the (laughs) conflict of the movie kind of centered around either Adrian Gruyere as the avatar of her personal life. Like he is where it all kind of ebbs and flows. It all comes back to him. So for her reconciling to reconciling with him is kind of reconciling with all of that. It's kind of a placeholder for we wouldn't want to see her like make nice with him and then make nice with her friend and then make nice with her dad. We don't need all of that. We just need just him. I think kind of covers all for all the mistakes that she made and saying, I recognize what I did was hurtful and was selfish and I wasn't I guess, there for you. And I, I needed it, that reconciliation. It, it depends on how you see like if you think that she really it was her fault completely that the relationship was going sour i i yes like i do i really do what i'm saying is like the fact that that it didn't seem like he didn't seem like that great of a boyfriend to me and so when the scene came about i was like okay well i mean that's probably good for your heart but i I have this feeling like you did all of this really hard work and nobody was saying great job. Not even your boyfriend 
Your boyfriend wasn't even saying, hey, I know this is really hard for you. I'm going to try to make it easier but for that's, you. But the end all be all shouldn't be how hard you work at your job. It should be about how you value everyone in your life. And if you if and she, how they value you as well. Yeah. And if she's not valuing them and if she's being ignorant of them, it doesn't what, matter because she's doing this noble thing at, by working at some magazine. That's what no I, excuse. What I'm saying, what I'm saying is that we, we don't get the two way street of that where we don't see how she's valued because every nobody in this movie seems to value her. I guess I can understand your point that these people needed to be more caring for Anne Hathaway for going through such a stressful job. But I will, I, I think the conflicts and they could have, you could have rewritten it this way where you did show the attempts, but they, they couldn't actually, support her because she wasn't there to receive the support in the first place. Like, I think you could have done this so much better. You didn't have to have her not be able to show up at her boyfriend's birthday. You could have had everybody else showing up and throwing her a birthday party. Mm -hmm. And she knew that they were throwing her a birthday party and she doesn't even come to that. Right. I think that shows the case so much better than her... Like, I just, I haven't seen the scene of her boyfriend trying to make her life easier. I didn't see one. I, you know, and, and so I, I can't go to bat for him being, being so miffed at her because I, the movie didn't show me that he was a great boyfriend to her or anything. Yeah. I guess I'll just be the, the devil on the shoulder or the angel in this. I don't know which one, if I'm the devil or the angel. I, I think we're, we're, we're both the, um, <laughs> what's the middle ground between a devil and an angel but it, it is that kind of like well who's to blame and i think my wife the marriage therapist would be like well they're both to blame and i'm like yeah exactly I'm like, that's what i'm i'm saying but i think the movie is trying to pick one <laughs> and i th- it is <laughs> and i i i'm kind of like convinced by the movie that indeed it is correct that it was mostly Anne hathaway's fault and you're saying it's 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 pretty much both 50 50 or maybe it seems like it to me anyway. Yeah. And me, even though I know the movies, I think I'm the reason I'm pushing so hard on this is just because I know what the movie's trying to tell me. I just can't, I can't get over the hump and believe it. Okay. I just can't do it. <laughs> I just knocked over my teeth. I, I was, I was pulled in. So there you have it. Listeners. It worked but for would me. You, would you recommend this movie? A five out of five recommend this movie. I was, I was just, I enjoyed every second last night watching it because I just felt so like I felt so connected to Anne Hathaway and I felt so connected to her because that's why we never doubt her as a person. No, no. I think I think she is fantastic. I think she she's just trying her best the whole way through. This is part of Anne Hathaway's star quality is, I think, very much like Sandy B. She can kind of just automatically be that person that we want to be there rooting for. Yeah, but I think the theme of this movie is valuable and I think should be just taken to heart where it's it doesn't matter if you're working really, 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 really hard. That's not the bottom line in our life is to work really hard and anything is permissible. I think that's a really great message. Uh, hey, Ryan, did we, uh, do we have any rom-com Oscars to give to this movie? Well, obviously, best costumes, jeez, <laughs> just right off the gate. Easy, next. <laughs> so, we watched Mean Girls this year, mm. 
right? Mm-hmm. In the spring. And so I can't give this movie worst or best villain because I already gave that to Regina George. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to... Oh, man. Um, remind me that I'm going to say I'm going to. I need to go check on our baby okay. real quick. She's being very loud. <clears throat> okay. Thank you for your patience. Uh-huh. I can't remember what you were saying. I am going. I mean, you took the easy one. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. I think I'm going to give this best cinematic performance. Yeah. Where Meryl Streep is saying so much without saying much at times. And the things that she does do when she's delivering a couple lines of dialogue, she says it so... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, where she, own, she... Efficiently. She's very efficient. And so I don't know if this is a dialogue choice or a performance choice or a combination of the two. Uh, what, what, like, what, what am I... I, I think I'm just going to give it best cinematic performance. It's just a star role. It just once again proves why she's a star. And she yeah. just, it's not that she's doing complicated acting, it's that she's doing big movie star acting well, done well. Exactly. It's it's showy in the best way. Yeah. Yeah. It's showing a fun way, and it's not, it's not like Gary Oldman, like, level of, like, detail. It's just, we just love looking at Meryl Streep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she didn't actually go become... She didn't Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah. She didn't become an editor in order to accomplish this goal. Yeah, she's just being fun. So let's just do that. The Meryl Streep Award. Well, speaking of Meryl Streep, who am I falling in love with? <laughs> Ooh, do I get to say who you're falling in love with? Are there any circumstances in which uh, the two of you might be more than just good friends? The truth of it is I loved you from the first second I met you. <laughs> But mostly I hate the way I don't hate you. Not even close. Not even a little bit. Not even at all. You have bewitched me, body and soul. And I love, and love, and love you. I know. You're falling in love with Stanley Tucci, because he's the Tooch. Okay. And you're falling in love with... You're falling in love with Mr. Gruyere because you thought he was a pretty stand-up guy. <laughs> no, he's not that nice. <laughs> All right, who are you falling in love I, with? I'm going with Anne Hathaway. Of course. She's great. She's just great. I thought you said that she uh, probably wasn't a good person to be in a relationship with right then. Then. Uh, as long as she says she's sorry. Well, that, that that always comes to the, like, well, at what point am I falling in love with her? Because if I can't fall in love with her if it's in the middle of the movie because she would never have time to go out with me. But if it's at the end of this movie. Uh, no, no, no. This is who would you fall in love with? This isn't who you'd be in a relationship with. This isn't, you know, always, like, exactly who, who you're going to live longest with. It's who would you fall in oh, yeah, love I'd with? Oh, yeah, I'd fall in love with her. Definitely. There you go. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, me, me too. Me too. Um, I feel like we're falling into that trap where we're just falling in love with the love interests, like the main character. Well, it's really but, hard you know, when Zane Hathaway. She brings great persona I, to the role. I, I also think that it's hard to fall in love with anybody else in this movie because, as we said, and I'm sorry to just keep using the B word, but they're all bitches. I think they would all acknowledge that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, 
Well, great. Ryan, I think it's about time that we um, opened any letters that we got this week. Mm. Hey, Flo. Huh? Mail come. Got mail for you. Oh, Pete, you've got mail. You sent me a letter. You've got mail. I have no letters. Well, it's funny because I was given a... um, a letter directly from the train man. It was in velvet and it was in invitation to actually dictate what you're going to write next week. Oh, okay. What am I going to write? And you are going to write uh, another script, actually. Oh, it just perfect. has to be two pages and it's your own version of a rom-com script about you being a dad. Oh, done. I hope you all enjoy my award-winning script, especially the train man. <laughs> you, yeah, um, it's we're we're all gonna read it in a dark room with a bunch of candles and and uh, you know people in masks. It's gonna be very um, <laughs> very it's eyes movie wide with Tom shot. Cruise. Yes, <laughs> it's gonna be very uh-huh, eyes wide shot. I hope you enjoy it, then you sexy bitches. <laughs> Um, but yeah, you can find all of our essays over on our Patreon, uh, essays slash screenplays, I guess now. Um, and that's patreon.com slash romcom gents, where you can also vote for this month's Tom Cruise, or sorry, not Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks, T Hanks giving film. Yes. We have Larry crown, AKA the Larry crown affair. We've got Turner and Hooch. We've got splash. What's the last we one? Got the money pit. The money pit. Come on over. Come vote. All it takes is 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 two bucks and fifty cents. That's all. Mm-hmm. And you'll be able to vote for the movie that we pick at the end of every single month. Oh yes. And in addition to that, this month's bonus episode is Gilmore Girls season two. We're kind of running the gamut on Gilmore Girls, and so if you really want to hear why you should also go watch the Gilmore Girls and what's cool and funny and weird about it, and you want the rom com gents spin, come visit us. Come listen to our bonus episodes. We're we having a new one every single month. Um, we're, how, how much are we on? Is that 10? Have we done 10 so far? Oh, man. 10 bonus episodes? They're stacking it's up. It's stacking like flapjacks. Listen to our thoughts on it's the Gilmore Girls. Like all of Meryl Streep's purses on so many <laughs> Anne Hathaway's desks. Yes, it's stacking up, and it's she's dying under all that fur. So... If you like Gilmore Girls, then you're going to enjoy these episodes. Even if you don't like Gilmore Girls, you'll well, enjoy us ragging on we, other we, things. We've also we've also got um, Wonder Woman. We've got a Miyazaki movie. We got Star we've Wars. Got, we got Star Wars. We got tons we got of stuff. Lots over of there. good stuff for you. So check out the Patreon. Help us pay for our kids' food. It's very helpful. <laughs> yes, um, and I'll stop coughing up whatever I'm eating into my baby's mouth like a mama bird. <laughs> If you want to stop this horrendous thing I'm doing, please come over to Patreon. So next week is Thanksgiving, and we are honoring our patron saint of Thanksgiving, T. Thanksgiving, by doing Joe versus the Volcano. We're continuing the tradition of the T. Thanksgiving. And after that, the poll winner will be the next Tom Hanks movie on top of that. You get a T. Hanks double feature. And then after that, I'm pretty sure we're going to have some guests on the podcast. Aren't we're we? going to have some guests. We're going to have PSI Love Rom-Coms on soon. We're going to have other surprise guests, too. Stay tuned and stay groovy, guys. I don't know why I'm groovy. <laughs> um, Ryan, even though you and I had an argument about Anne, Anne. you know, this episode, Anne. I know that we both fell in love with her because uh, we both share that same love. 
that is for not only Anne Hathaway, but for each other. Mm. And I... I'm not sharing her with I you. can't be nearly as eloquent as that, so I'm just going to stay, say... I'm just going to say to you th- <laughs> that I love you. <clears throat> and this is where we will say oh, goodbye. Ryan and Kelly must bid you adieu. Thank you for listening to our review. Rate and subscribe, we'll even take a bribe. See you next week on the Gentleman's Guide. To rom-coms. <laughs>